0: Well, good morning again. We're grateful that you um, are here and welcome you guys that are watching online. We are um, ready to just open up God's Word as we continue this journey uh, through the book of Ecclesiast- Ecclesiastes. Uh, excuse me, we're going to be in chapter 7 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way there. We're looking at this idea of thinking right when things are going wrong. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 13 through 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Eric showed us uh, beautifully how Solomon has made a little, a little shift in his presentation to us through God's Word. Uh, you will recall that the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes show us that uh, really no matter what we do in life, it is all meaningless outside of a proper view of God. The only thing that matters is our relationship with Jesus. But now in chapter 7, i uh, seeing uh, kind of a, a, a little uh, a shift in the tone out of Solomon and, and he is helping us through his wisdom to focus on what is better. Last week our, our text continually utilized the phrase better than as it clearly showed how to Live wisely, finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Seven different times in those first twelve verses we are uh, we read the word better or better than it's it's so cool and it's refreshing to see the wisdom of Solomon unfolding each week through this series. Uh, it's challenging, it's encouraging. Um, it, I, I've just really enjoyed this, but You see, Solomon, he had seen a lot in his day. He he had walked some, some good roads. Solomon also walked some hard roads. He had seen things that he understood and things that caused him to question. You know, this is an important truth for all of us because we too will experience things in life that we understand. But we will also experience things in life that potentially uh, would cause us to question. You guys know what I mean. You know, we've all experienced things that we uh, don't seem fair to us, that um, sometimes leads to questions, kind of, kind of almost uh, to a crossroad in our faith. Solomon experienced this. Thankfully, instead of these questions leading Solomon away from God, it actually drove him closer to God. So this morning, I want us to examine together what he says during, um, during struggles so that when we encounter struggles, we find ourselves running to God instead of away from him. So how do we think right when things are going wrong? Well, first... We recognize the hand of God. We recognize the hand of God. Look with me in verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Notice that right from the start, Solomon acknowledges God. He says, Consider the work of God. He understood that all things come from God, which is why he continues to say in verse 13 Who can make straight what he, God, has made crooked? You see, our lives are made up of events which are straight, those that meet our expectations. And they're also made up of events that are crooked, those that cause some uncertainty. It's not always easy. Some roads are more difficult than others. Some seasons of life are more enjoyable than others. But no matter how hard the journey, our loving father has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And this is why Solomon says in verse 14, that in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything. That will be after him. I love how the New Living Translation says this verse when it says, Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard time strikes, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. You know, perhaps God, for some reason, wants this crooked thing in my life. Who am I to bitterly complain about it? You see trying to argue about how and when and why the good and the bad days are a portion in our lives or in or in someone else's lives is it's not only foolish but it's it's also not our role. You see we are not privy to how God works. We can only accept what comes and believe that it will all work out for our good. But having said that, there are some things that we can do things that we can and should put into practice that would help us recognize uh, the hand of God better in our lives. This is why spiritual disciplines are so important in our lives. You see, we can't expect to know the things of God if we are not saturating our lives in the things of God. So things like Bible reading. And prayer, journaling, being discipled, discipling someone, serving, worshiping, sharing Jesus. like These are all vital spiritual disciplines. And friends, I don't know how else to say this, but if you are finding yourself too busy to put into practice these spiritual disciplines, then you can be assured that when the road is crooked you are going to struggle. Because as followers of Christ, we are to saturate ourselves in the things of Jesus so that when the path is crooked, when things are hard, we are anchored to the truth. And when we are anchored to the truth, we are then able to recognize the hand of God. It's like anything else in life. The more you are exposed to it, the more you recognize it. Now, for instance, you know that I am not going to stand by and let Eric talk about the Florida Gators and me not mention the University of Alabama, right? We know that's not going to happen. You guys remember a few years ago, ESPN came out with a commercial. Everyone was greeting one another with a roll tide. Right. It's kind of funny. It's like, you know, this guy's in the in the, you know, in the restaurant. He's like, hey, can you pass me the cat? You know, can you pass me the ketchup roll tide? You know, or the mom's dropping the kids, you know, dropping them at school and saying, you know, have a good day, honey, roll tide. And the whole thing is everyone greeting one another with this roll tide. And this commercial was so funny because it's just absolutely truth. And you know this if you are an Alabama fan, right? If you are an Alabama fan and you wear a hat or a t-shirt or something out in public, inevitably you are going to be greeted with a Roll Tide at some point from someone. Well, why is that? Well, it's because the logo is recognizable between fans. It's familiar, so you don't even really think about it. It just naturally occurs, right? And it's the same principle with knowing the Lord. If it's familiar to us, we will naturally default to his truth when the road turns crooked. But this will also help you in recognizing when and where God is directing you in life. Back in the old days, in the year 2000, uh, which I would say was... Uh, When I really submitted my life to the Lord, I was introduced to a Bible study called Experiencing God. I've shared this with our college students before, introduced to this Bible study called Experiencing God. And and really, I was not unlike any other 20-year-old or, you know, early 20s that's having questions like, you know, what career avenue should I take? Or who should I date? Or what does God want me to do with my life? These types of of conversations that a lot of 20-somethings have. And so I was introduced to this study. And some of you may be familiar. Has anyone ever done that study? Anybody? Just a few? Yeah, absolutely. Solid study. Cannot recommend it enough to you. It's so, so great. And some of you may be familiar with this. um, But just kind of a summary of it. The the Bible study gives you seven principles to help navigate uh, recognizing the work of the Lord and His direction for your life. And I just wanted to just summarize them real quick for you. But God, the first one is God is always at work around you. And so because God is always at work around you, you must seek to see things from God's perspective rather than your own distorted human perspective. Right. So God's always at work around you. But then uh, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. So God places people and events and questions in our path so we begin to seek him and everything that we are experiencing from God comes in response to his invitation. Then the third principle is God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Because remember, God is always at work around you. And God's desire is to get you from where you are to where he is working. Which then takes you to uh, the fourth principle where God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible and through prayer and circumstances in the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And this is where spiritual disciplines come in. Why they are so important. If you are not connected to the source, we can't expect to hear from God. The fifth principle is God's invitation for you to work with him sometimes leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Sometimes God calls us to do hard things. But just because you aren't comfortable doing something doesn't necessarily mean God isn't calling you to do that thing. Which then takes you to the sixth principle that says you may have to make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. The Bible reveals that many times that God speaks to his people about doing something that, that he wants them to do. And they have to readjust some things in their lives to accomplish that. And all of those things as a result leads you to the seventh principle which says you come to know God by experience as you obey him. And he accomplishes his work through you. You see knowing God and doing his will it's a repetitive cycle. And each time you do this, you become more and more aware of his work. It causes you to obey quicker. And still to this day, when April and I are faced with big decisions, we run them through these filters that uh, we discovered through spiritual disciplines. So how do we think right when things are going wrong? Well, first, you recognize the hand of God, but also, secondly, you trust God. The hand of God. You trust the hand of God. Look at verses 15 through 17 with me. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Solomon here addresses one of the most difficult questions of life head on in this text. And we would be wise to get our heads wrapped around it as well because it is almost a guarantee to come up at some point if you are sharing Jesus with someone. You see, if there is one problem in life that demands a mature perspective, it is the question that Solomon is asking here is, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Or, to put it in a different, uh, to phrase it differently, why do bad things happen to good people? Or, good things happen to bad people? You see, there's two things wrong with asking this question. First, the question is only true if you take the short view of things in life. You will recall last week um, and many times through this series, as we have talked about the importance of keeping the long view, uh, kind of a heavenly gaze. You see, as followers of Jesus, our eyes should stay fixated, not on the here, but on the hereafter. Because regardless of a straight or crooked things happening in your life one constant is true and the constant is it's all temporary you see there's coming a day when all the wrong will be made right and solomon is encouraging us to view the unfairness of life through the lens of wisdom because we've all faced circumstances that prompted us to say well this just isn't right it isn't fair however When we gaze through the glasses of wisdom, we are able to clearly see that there is a day of reckoning for each of us. And what may seem unfair from our earthly perspective will be made undeniably right in eternity. And we may not understand why things happen the way they do, but we trust. We trust that we are just pilgrims on this planet and there is a day coming when the senseless will, be made, will make sense and our understanding will be complete, we trust the hand of God. But there's another issue with this question, and, it, and it's this. The foundation of it is based in pride. You see, we studied this text last week in Isaiah 55 that says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. To think that God, the creator of all, the creator of you, the creator of your brain, has to operate in a way that makes sense to us is the epitome of pride. He is God. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. The question for us is just simply do you trust him? My, my youngest son, Merrick, he loves sweets and he loves carbs, right? So his favorite meal, if you were to ask him, hey, what do you want? For lunch, guaranteed. This is what he says: I want some chicken alfredo with no chicken, macaroni and cheese, um, a plain cheeseburger, meat and cheese only from any fast food restaurant. Doesn't matter. And for dessert, would love a piece of carrot cake and or a sugar cookie with a sprite. Okay, that would be his favorite meal. Now, whereas that is what he would prefer, April and I know what's best for him. So we introduce him to things in his diet called vegetables and water, right? Most of the time, the water is utilized to swallow the vegetables whole. Nonetheless, they go in. Okay? I wish I was joking to you about that, like he literally put a green bean in his mouth with a bottle of water and just swallow it whole. Like, so strange. Whatever, it goes in, right? But because Merrick knows that we love him and that we look out for what's best for him, he trusts us to make those decisions. Now, take that simple idea and insert God. Who is so infinite that we cannot even exaggerate him and you begin to get a glimpse of the trust that we are to have in him. You see, the Bible teaches us three truths about God, truths that we must believe if we are to trust him in adversity. They are this. Number one, God is completely sovereign. The sovereignty of God is declared on almost every page of the Bible. He is in complete control. In his book, Trusting God, Jerry Bridges says it this way, Rather than being offended over the Bible's assertion of God's sovereignty in both good and calamity, believers should be comforted by it. Whatever our particular calamity or adversity may be, we may be sure that our Father has a loving purpose in it. So God is completely sovereign. But essential truth number two is that God is infinite In wisdom. You see, God's sovereignty is also exercised in infinite wisdom, far beyond our ability to comprehend. God's plan and his ways of working out his plan are frequently beyond beyond our ability to fathom or understand. We must learn to trust when we don't understand. And because God is completely sovereign and is infinite in wisdom, we can be assured of truth number three, and that is God is perfect in love. You know, one of my, uh, one of my prayers has always been any time the Lord would allow me the privilege of opening up his word to preach, that, that he would uh, teach me through his word before I ever step in front of people. And one of the ways that he has been faithful in that with us, um, if I can just be completely transparent with you this morning, is kind of how this is being worked out. These truths are being worked out in our lives right now, uh, in my family, is is through the life of my granddad. Uh, My granddad is one of my heroes. Uh, The impact that he has made in my life uh, just simply isn't measurable because of the magnitude of the impact. Uh, I could share stories for the next hour on the way that he has led me, the way that he has instructed me, the way he has guided me, encouraged me throughout my life. He is truly a grandfather in every sense of the word. My my granddaddy loves Jesus, loves Jesus. He has always modeled a strong faith for me. Matter of fact, he was mainly responsible for uh, taking me to church whenever I was Younger. But about three weeks ago, um, our family got the news that no family um, ever wants to hear. And that news was that my grandfather uh, has stage four and five cancer throughout his body that's not treatable. And outside of the divine intervention of the Lord, our time with my granddaddy, um, this side of eternity, is pretty short. We spent some time together a couple weekends ago and just going to take advantage of the days that God gives us. But last week, April's father, who prior to being my father-in-law, was our family's pastor, he went to see my granddad and he asked him the most profound question. He said, as a Christian, how do you feel about God choosing disease as the means of to take your life. Which I thought was just a just very profound question. My sweet granddaddy responded with this. He says I can't question God. He's given me a long life and I am blessed to have lived it and I can't ask him for anything more. Even in his last days, My grandfather is modeling for me what it truly means to recognize the hand of God and to trust the hand of God. And, friends, when we all learn to recognize the hand of God in our lives, and then we learn to trust the hand of God in our lives, then we are able to finish the race well. It enables us, as we look at our last two points this morning, is to, it enables us to accept the challenges of life. You see, when we recognize and we trust the hand of God, it frees us to accept when life is crooked. But this acceptance is not one of, well, it just is what it is. Who cares? No, it's an, it's an acceptance of us realizing that we are living in brokenness. And this acceptance should point us directly to the cross because without Jesus, we all are lost. And in this world, in all of its brokennesses, brokenness, it is it. This is it. So this acceptance should point us to the cross. And it also brings to light what we read in James 4:13 that says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So instead of boasting in, the th- in thinking that we are owed an explanation when life is crooked, we recognize and we trust, so we accept the challenges, but then finally it enables us to face the challenges of life. Verse 18 says, It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. You see, this verse returns us to a life of balance acquired by authentic and reverent fear of God. When we examine the issues of life that we all face on a daily basis, it is the fear of God that provides us with the wisdom to avoid the extremes at either side and to live a balanced life in an unbalanced world. But what are the two extremes that Solomon is referencing here? Well, he mentions them in verses 16 and 17. Being too self-righteous or being too wicked. It's interesting to note that both self-righteousness and wickedness both stem from pride. You see, when we think that we are so righteous and so wise, we really only reveal how proud and foolish we really are. And this text warns us that whoever is, whether one is proud and foolish or wicked and foolish, both live and die as fools. Michael Eaton says it this way, the right life walks the path between two extremes. Shunning self-righteousness, but not allowing one's native wickedness to run its own course. It's about balance. You know, one of the things my granddad has uh, taught me is uh, one of his favorite hobbies is uh, building clocks. He has built clocks his whole life, as long as I can remember. Builds them and sells them. He goes to auctions and buys them, and he just he loves it. So, um, where when we grew up, man, he would just have people coming all the time wanting him to fix their clocks, or he would just build them from scratch. But um, one of the things that I learned from him regarding clocks was uh, the importance of a properly balanced pendulum, right? So if, if it's swinging too fast, the clock is going to run too fast, or vice versa, if it's too slow, the clock will run too slow. And that's the picture I have in my head this morning about these instructions that we are hearing, right? The the danger in being too self-righteous is that we begin to think that we are better than other people. But the danger in being too wicked is that we begin to think that redemption is not possible for us. It's, It's no longer possible. We've messed up too much. So the proper balance is right in the center with a proper view of God and his sovereignty. And so this morning, as, as we wrap up, I want to close by reading you a portion of scripture out of Jeremiah 17. And while I'm reading this scripture to you, There's going to be a picture on the screen. The the scripture is in front of you as far as in your handout. It will not be on the screen, but there will be a picture on the screen that I want you uh, to kind of see, to give you kind of a visual of what we're reading here in Jeremiah. Listen to these words from the prophet Jeremiah in in chapter 17. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched lands of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I want you to see this picture as you heard that scripture, because I want you to notice a few things about this. I want you to notice that both of these trees had to endure the same hot sun, they're enduring the same things. Like in our context today, this would be the crooked things of life, right? The hard things. Both of these trees also had access to the same water. You can see the water in the background there. But only one of them survives. And why is that? Well, we're told in the text. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust... Is the Lord. You see, that tree survived, but because it had roots attached to the source of life. And, church, the same truth is here for us today. If we want to thrive and not be burned up by the trials in our world, then we must learn to recognize the hand of God. And we must learn to trust the hand of God, even when we don't understand. But in order to do that, you must be attached to the source of life Jesus.